namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa Aparudha de Sangamatasa Tawara ye Sodavanta Bamunchantu Satang. So when I chant this Aparudha de Sangamatasa Tawara, I always like to uh, start with the, this announcement the gate to the deathless is open. It's pointing always to the here and now, not some kind of news that you have to look anywhere but find something other than the simple imminence of awareness, attentiveness in the present. Now this is a statement of fact. You can put it as a fact, not as a theory or something mysterious. It's just uh, that the base, the power of delusion, uh, as we overlook it all the time, we live in a world of illusions that we create. And so then we suffer from this illusory conditioned realm that we believe is real. That's why in Buddhist teaching is the directness of pointing to reality. Aparuta de sangmatasatawara, the gate to the deathless is open. It's deathless. And then a gate or a door always means an entrance to the deathless, which is the reality of awareness. Sati sampachanya, satipanya. And then once you begin to, that begins to sink in, as you begin to have insight, it it does take this remembering this, because the illusory world is what we're used to, how we see ourselves and how we see the world is through the illusions of conditions that we've acquired. And so there's a Sakya Ditti, Thilabhata Bharama, Kicha are the three fetters that that uh, we are conditioned with after birth, cultural conditioning, personality, sense of separateness, uh, uh, sense of being a separate person, uh, having particular qualities, memories, and then we live in a society that's deluded. So it's, we're part of a cultural entity that, whose very basis is delusion. So that's why it is a seemingly very, uh, say it seems difficult because we're the, what everybody affirms is, is the real world is not the real world. So this statement of the gate to the death is open, those 
that can understand this, can hear this. That is, uh, then it says, release your faith. Ye soda vanta bamun chantu sadhang. So there's this faith, not in some metaphysical concept of a deathless realm, is something we've got to find, but it's the sada or faith in this sense isn't belief, but it's recognition. So the deathless is the reality, is real. Death is an illusion. The illusion that I'm going to die, that's an illusion that I create because uh, the body itself is, if this is, if this is what I am, then it, the body will die. And so then I'm, naturally the logic from that is that I will die. But if I break through that illusion of a separate self, and identity with the body, then the reality is the deathless. Amravati, I particularly chose this name, the deathless realm, to keep reminding us of this. Uh, we can see Amravati as a perception of a particular monastery in Hertfordshire, or, you know, that brings up memories of pleasure, pain, and so forth. But, that is just the function of memory. The, the actual name, its significance is the Amra Vati Deathless Realm. So taking this word Amravati and letting it, instead of just pursue, uh, pursuing it in terms of you like or don't like, you like living here, you don't like living here, you prefer Chithurst or some other place. <laughs> then you're caught in the in the uh, uh, illusory world. <clears throat> but if you take the the just use the word amravati as a reflection, the gate to the deathless is open. So I've had this just returned from this uh, marvelous. Uh, holiday, Honorable Nyanarato, <laughs> and I'm Richard Smith. Uh, Richard Smith is a very generous friend who invited us on this uh, Norwegian cruise, which is, uh, uh, we went uh, to Svalbard about five years ago, uh, which is the island north of Norway, up near the North Pole. And uh, this time, because of uh, Ajahn Yanarato's uh, condition, uh, it was Richard Smith's idea that it would be good for him to have a holiday on this luxurious ship uh, that leaves Bergen in Norway and, and uh, floats up around the whole coast of Norway to the Russian border. And so we, before, the five years ago, we, we disembarked at Tromsø, which is just part of the way to the Russian border. This way, we went all the way to a town called Cherkines, which is right on the border of uh, Russia and Norway. So we also went to the North Cape, the, the uh, most northern point of the European continent, where there's a statue of King Chulalongkorn, the Thai king 
actually visited the North Cape in 1907. And in those days, he, we, we, we arrived in a coach as the ship docked in a town and then we took a coach uh, to, the, to the North Cape. Uh, King Chulalongkorn actually had to climb the cliff from the sea, which would be quite difficult, I should imagine. <clears throat> so he was obviously quite a, quite a vigorous uh, king in those days. But this is, you know, this is a convention of Norway uh, and King Tullalongkorn, North Cape, uh, Russian-Norwegian border. These are uh, human perceptions. Now, there's nothing, I'm not criticizing any of these perceptions, but just pointing out what they are, uh, that they are created by human beings. Uh, going up the Norwegian coast, uh, there was nothing there that shouted out Norway to me. It was just, you know, we call it that, the Norwegian coast. We call it the North Cape and the Russian border. And so, just to emphasize, even though this is an obvious truth, uh, sometimes we aren't really aware of, of the, how we call things, what we name things, uh, the conventions we use, uh, some good, some aren't so good, but they are conventions, and they're not the real world or ultimate reality. So this is where, you know, even on a journey, uh, a pleasant journey uh, up the Norwegian coast, is still the presence, pure presence of Amaravati, of the gate to the deathless. As the background, as the reality, and then the changing conditions that one is experiencing through the senses. So the Norwegian coast is a delight to the, to the uh, uh, sight. It's very beautiful, scenic, um, incredibly beautiful uh, sight to see, to witness just with the vision. And we, uh, you know, there was, um, didn't get dark till 10 o'clock at night or so, and and they had these observation rooms, panorama lounge at the top of the ship where you can sit and just watch. Uh, and it's very comfortable, warm environment uh, in the cold northern region, still winter time, north of the Arctic Circle. And uh, watch the world go by, sitting in, 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 in a, even on a rough sea in an icy cold wind and be warm, comfortable, and enjoying the scenery. So it's like being a devada, actually, you know, you're kind of floating in this beautiful ship, yeah, nice and warm, well-fed, comfortable uh, conditions, watching the violence of nature, or the coldness, or the, the sea and the mountains, the snow, And the, of course, Norway is, uh, is the coastline is, is, is very famous uh, because it, it's worthy of that the fame. It is, you know, all these islands and what they call fjords, inlets. And so the ship 
sails up through these various islands. You, not much of the time is spent out on the open sea. You're going uh, through sheltered areas, through channels and inlets and that up the Norwegian coast, stopping at these various uh, towns and ports. So then we had uh, this very delightful company, Ajahn Rattu, of course, is a very pleasant uh, monk to be with, and uh, <laughs> Richard Smith, uh, a very positive, uh, very, uh, one of the most positive uh, English men I've ever met. <laughs> Incredibly cheerful, unrelentingly cheerful. And so <laughs> this makes for uh, a, a good time, really. We had a very good time. Now nature, as we can see now here at Amravati, how beautiful springtime is. And uh, when you're up at the north, in the, in the Arctic Circle, it's still wintry and things are covered in snow. <coughs> So then thinking of England seemed like almost like the tropics. And we, we realized that Bergen, the city of Bergen, which is quite a lovely city, and uh, the Norwegian city of Oslo, they're on the same parallel as the Shetland Islands. And so we, you know, we tend to think of the Shetland Islands as up near the North Pole, but actually even they seem subtropical after <laughs> when you get up further north, north of the Arctic Circle, up in the, the North Cape. Seemed, it really seemed like the end of the world up there. Now these are uh, sense pleasures. It's, uh, it's uh, you know, this, uh, having a body like this. That is a sensitive form, and it feels cold and and wind. When you get north winds and ice and snow and uh, waves on the sea and a rocky boat and all the rest, uh, you do feel all this. So this feeling, this sensitivity, and yet the ship itself seemed, uh, you know, very dependable, safe, uh, guaranteed not to sink and um, very warm, uh, attractively decorated. We each had our own cabin, stateroom, ensuite, we had our own bathroom, and window looking out onto the sea. So, I mean, this is life at its most ple sensually pleasant, uh, at least in terms of my experience. Most of the people on this journey were around my age, which I quite enjoyed. I wasn't threatened by the vigorous uh, energies of youth, and so <laughs> and it came from many, mainly from uh, Norway, Germany, France, England, Holland, uh, many of those nationalities on the on the ship. Now this is uh, to appreciate nature to see the, the beauty of nature is, is one of the delights of our human condition because we have, uh, we have this uh, sensitive form to live in for a lifetime 
and we and we can uh, see, hear, smell, taste, touch, and then we can think, we can project onto uh, the world around us our own views, opinions, loves, hates, and so forth. So in um, in daily life, as we see, we get accustomed to, like this was a holiday, so everything was special, uh, you know, for a certain limited period of time. Uh, but in daily life, it's, it's different, isn't it? We become used to, accustomed to uh, a way of living, a routine, the people that we live with. Uh, and therefore, the, this is part of getting used to the to the home or the monastery or the place that we're living in. And so it's very important to keep reminding ourselves not to sink into a kind of dull state of just uh, what we're used to and just being carried on by the momentum of habit that we, uh, we easily have from living in one place. Even monastic life can become a mere habit if we, we don't develop awareness and put energy into our lives, then we, we can just ride along in the, in the monastic form, something that we're used to that seems, even though it's based on insecurity, on alms mendicancy, uh, we almost have a sense of guaranteed security here at Amrapati, as you may have noticed. <laughs> Uh, and this is uh, certainly in one way very nice, but also it can be another form of delusion. And the the samana is uh, this idea of the homeless wanderer dependent on the uh, generosity of others. So this is the this is the what we keep reminding ourselves that why we're here. We're here. Uh, we've taken on this particular convention, not for security, but for reflection, to use it to develop awareness and to see through the illusions of Sakyaditi, the personality view, Sila Bhattabharamasa, social and cultural conditioning, and Vichikicha, the attachment to language speech, perception. Now I've encouraged you all over the past few years to really investigate the thinking process, your own thinking. Not in terms of whether you think well or don't think well or you're a good thinker or not so good, but to be the observer of thought. Now this is very important because if you don't do this then you, you, you never get outside the thinking process. It will always pull you, take you over. Uh, it's, it's like a hook that we easily get hooked upon. And then it, it keeps us in the samsara, in the, in the world of delusion, in the death realm. And, and therefore the thinking even about Buddhism, just being attached to Buddhist ideas or Buddhist concepts or Buddhist conventions, uh, can still, you know, it's not enlightenment till we actually practice the Bhattibhata. We can become attached to the Bariyati Dhamma, 
uh, you know, the, the, the suttas in the Dhamma-vinaya, the, the Abhidhamma and so forth, we can become very attached to the concepts and the words and the Pali language and all the rest, <coughs> which is certainly, if one is going to attach to things, that's recommended. Those are, you know, quite skillful conventions. But the aim, the, the, the directness and the impressiveness of the Buddha's teaching is that it isn't a conditioning process. It's not created to convert us to Buddhism or become Buddhists, but to keep pointing, uh, encouraging us to wake up, to pay attention, to be aware, to investigate, not just take for granted, not to just ride along in the party line of some Buddhist convention or in the social uh, cultural attitudes of the day, but to see through them, to be able to have that relationship to the conventions of knowing, rather, uh, uh, because this is the function of consciousness. Consciousness is knowing. It's a knowingness that is our liberation. Not knowing about, not knowing names for, not knowing having views and opinions or concepts about anything, not knowing about Buddhism, but knowing Dhamma, the way it is, the truth of the way it is. So this knowing also is deathless. It's not a it's not culturally conditioned, not dependent on, on, uh, on language or, co or on co conventional forms, on Buddhist conventions themselves. The conventions themselves are to be used for awareness, not for attachment. If you notice in the Buddhist world that we live in, the, the problems among Buddhists is always around attachment to the conventions. The different views and opinions that we have about Mahayana, Theravada, uh, Vajrayana, and on and on like this, these are, these are human-made conventions. And when we start, when we get stuck into views and opinions on this level, we've missed the point. You know, we've kind of playing with the concepts, but that will not liberate us. There's no liberation in being attached to Theravada or Mahayana, Vajrayana, or any, anything, anything at all, any condition at all. No matter how subtle, how refined, how profound or coarse or vulgar, or whatever it might be. Conditioned phenomena is nature, is change, arising, ceasing, birth and death. And that which is aware of birth and death is the deathless. So then there is this ati, ajatang, aputang, akatang, asankatang. There is the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned. Now that's another fact, that's a statement of fact. 
And some people have accused me of talking about Nibbana and Anatta uh, when I should just more or less talk about Anicca. You know, though you get into the Anicca obsessions of present-day Vipassana because Anicca is about the conditioned realm. So Anicca Dukkha Anatta are the characteristics of conditioned phenomena. And then there is the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned. What is, what is that? Aparutha di Sangha Matasa Tawara, the gate to the deathless is open. And this statement, this Ati, is a Pali word, but there is the unborn, Ajat Dang. Therefore, there is escape. There is a way out. There is a way to free ourselves from the born, the created, the form, the condition. So that is the, then the, the escape then is awakened attention. Sati Sampachanya, Sati Panya. Now when I, now in my own practice, I uh, use this, sound of silence. This I know works uh, because I've been using it for many, many years now. In fact, this, um, this really occurred to me very strongly in Hampstead when before Chithurst, when I had this vision of being in, in northern Norway or in Lapland or up near the North Pole in a kind of nimitta vision, in a meditation, where I was out in the snow, alone in, the, in a dusky world, a twilight realm, with neither day nor night, with wolves howling and wind blowing, stark naked, in the cold, alone, with wild animals, everything frightening, scary, all about death and pain, and misery, isn't it? That is uh, generally how one would interpret such a, a vision. And yet the vision was peaceful. So when I related this uh, five, six years ago at a retreat at Spirit Rock in San Francisco, and Richard Smith was on that retreat, um, I had no intention of asking for a trip to the North Pole. Uh, in fact, I never thought that I would ever have the opportunity. But after that retreat at Spirit Rock, Richard came up to me and said he would take me to the North Pole. So that's how the first, the first uh, voyage to Svalbard occurred. Well, just, uh, you know, it, didn't, it wasn't necessary. I didn't need to go to the North Pole or Svalbard to, to hear the sound of silence. But it's, it was a nimitta or a kind of visionary sign for uh, 30, 30 years ago in which the sound of silence, even though I'd heard it and used it furtively before, I, after that I began to use it all the time. And this is, uh, this is just noticing like the, the background or consciousness, it could be used as consciousness 
or but don't call it anything I don't want to to make statements about it other than encourage the recognition of it so that you are recognizing when you really hear notice and pay attention you're in a relaxed state you when your people that try to find the sound of silence they're always listening for something that they imagine like the words are deceiving sound of silence even the words uh, can be can get in the way that's why it's merely sound of silence is a kind of oxymoron isn't it it's uh, sound and silence and and what does that mean and you can question and look for something special but it's nothing special it's ordinary to we don't notice it but when you begin to notice uh, this is a sense of being relaxed and open you're not trying to find anything or get anything or get samadhi how many of you meditate in order to get concentration to get samadhi to get rid of defilements and you can see this is all based on sakyaditi I am somebody who needs to get something I don't have like samadhi uh, certain times uh, up, uh, uh, mana samadhi or whatever uh, terms they have for different levels of samadhi samadhi is, is emphasized as a, as a desirable thing to attain getting rid of kilesas and defilements and asavas this is how we tend to we, we grasp these ideas with a sakyaditi mindset I've got to get rid of my kilesas and I've got to purify my mind and get my samadhi now this, this notice that this is, this is what you hear how people talk but recognize that that can be still be all the the sakyaditi which leads to Wichikicha. After years of struggling with samadhi and jhanas and, and attainments and stages and trying to get rid of kilesas and defilements and asavas, doubt. What, you know, it can be terribly disappointing because, you know, if you spend all these years trying to get rid of something, and trying to gain something and get by getting rid of something you've you uh, you know you you're you're going to be disappointed in the holy life because that's not what it's about it's not about attaining or achieving it's about waking up and recognizing so waking up doesn't seem that difficult you know on a sakyaditi level i'm awake right now so what don't see anything special but awaken isn't you know I can still be lost in in all kinds of Sakya Ditti Silabhattabharamasa carrying the world on my back the problems of personality and views and opinions and conventions and cultural attitudes and ideals and all the rest carrying that around that's my that can be how I see the world through my conditioning so awakened awareness is not about conditioning 
But it's where you, it's the unconditioned, the unborn. Asangadang, there is ati asangadang, there is the unconditioned. And so this is a awareness, brings attention to space, visual space, to sound of silence. And just that simple recognition, this is the this is it. This is the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned. Now then your thinking mind will start doubting it. So you think, how do I know it's really the unconditioned? Can I believe Ajahn Sameto? He might be, you know, a nutcase or you know, maybe he's a unique creature. Maybe you might look at me as some kind of special highly attained uh, meditation master or uh, you know I don't know how you want to look at me but however you see me you know whatever projections you have about me that's something you create that's your creation because in the deathless it's one that's no Ajahn Sumedho is merely conventional form because in the deathless, it doesn't belong to anybody, it has no name, isn't, isn't even Buddhist. Not about Theravada or Mahayana or anything like that. It's reality, it's Dhamma. So in this, this word, Pali word Dhamma, which I quite like, is the real, reality. This is the real. And the real includes the conditions. We're seeing the conditions in terms of Dhamma rather than in terms of cultural conditioning, prejudices, biases, views and opinions. So then the conditioned realm is seen in terms of Anicca Dukkanata. Those are uh, expedient concepts in order to start observing, to be the knower, to be the, the Bhutto, seeing the Dhamma. And of course the conditioned phenomena has, has all kinds of qualities from sublime, refined, uh, to coarse, to clean and dirty, right and wrong, heaven and hell, good and evil, uh, and all shades of gray in between black and white and all possibilities of anything that arises and ceases, whether it's mental, uh, emotional, sensual, physical. <coughs> that includes all conditioned phenomena. In other words, the world that we're, we're experiencing, the bodies, the, what we see, hear, smell, taste, touch, and think and feel. And that awareness, of this sense realm, the senses of pleasure and pain, beauty and ugliness and so forth, that which is aware, knowingness, knowing, sape sankarani cha, all conditions are impermanent, sape tamma anatta, all dhamma is not self. So this word Dhamma is not, uh, you're not taking, you're not, it's not a divisive 
word. It's an inclusive word. But we haven't have to let, we haven't even have to let go of the word dhamma because it, like any word, is a convention. So it's 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 an expedient means toward way of looking, of of observing, of being this awareness itself. Now, if you keep going at this, this is why in our lives we all have to experience our vipaka kama, and that's the result of having been born and conditioned and and you know lived our lives up to this point of here and now so in uh, when the conditions arise then this is the result so this is ittabhajyada as uh, Puttatasa used to use this word ittabhajyada which is uh, when, when in there's a way of looking and examining. I feel like this now because the conditions for feeling like this are, are this way. But my refuge isn't in the conditions because the conditions are relentlessly changing. You know, when I try to hold on even to an exalted state, uh, you know, sublime state of conscious experience, you know, it's, you can't keep it. Uh, you know, the more subtle, the more impermanent it is. The more painful and miserable it is, the more permanent it seems. Eternal hell can be, seem very real sometimes in our lives, where we just live in a realm of despair and negativity and hopelessness, and it seems permanent. Floating up the Norwegian coast seems to go by very fast. <laughs> Being in heaven is, is just, a, is, it's just a, like a flash. Now it's only a memory, isn't it? Just a memory <laughs> of the Norwegian, of the trip, uh, the journey that we took up the Norwegian coast and back. But the Sound of silence is with us all the time. Out on the ship on the, in Norway, at the North Cape, the Russian border, in the Bergen airports, at Heathrow, near uh, it's not, it's not, uh, it's not something that depends on, on the weather or on the conditions that, that make it possible. It's merely, you know, a way remembering, recalling. So when one gets caught up into the conditioned realm, you know, just, you know, you recognize, you can know that you're caught up. You've got a, something on your mind. You're, you've, you've got an axe to grind, or you're worried, or you're, you're bored, or fed up, or, or you're elated. You're over the moon about something. It's like this. So always relating whatever you're feeling and thinking to this sound of silence. Now if you keep doing this as a practice, it integrates into, it's not just a special meditation 
for retreat time. This is where it is a way of living, this life as a samana. As a monk or a nun, it's a way of living this life in which the, we use the conventions that we have for this reflection. You know, so that, it, that with the, the actual monastic form, the conventions itself, the robes, the shaven head and all the rest, can be used for awareness or it can be used for Sakya Ditti, Tilapata Baramasa Vichikicha. It's up to you how you want to use the conventions. But the, the monastic convention in Buddhism is its main function is for awareness. Living in a, in a way that is impeccable, morally impeccable. So we're, we're non-violent, we take responsibility for action and speech. And we, you know, we're very, we, we live the life of brahmacharya, celibate life. We're not involved in the sexual uh, engagements with others. But we still feel uh, sexual energies and because that's part of the, the natural state of these forms. This is a sexual realm that we're experiencing. And so our relationship to sexuality is knowing. And then our conventional form is celibacy, which is we do not engage in, uh, intentionally engage in sexuality. But we can certainly be aware of it and, and break the, the attachments to it, the fears or the, or the fascination that we have for it. Not by doing anything about it, but recognizing it's like this. The conditions <coughs> for sexual excitement is here. And this is, you know, this is the result. It's like this. And it's not criticizing or making any qualifications about the result. The result is like this. You know, say, it's like this. I'm not saying it's a good or bad result. If I put a good result or a bad result, then I adding something to it, a value judgment about it, you know, what I think is good and what I think is bad. But in refuge in the deathless, then we're observing the nature of conditioned phenomena. So it's not about it, it being good or bad, but it is like this. Sensual experience, what we see, uh, hear, smell, taste, touch, the body itself, its uh, sexual nature, its age, uh, greed and hatred, anger, jealousy and fear, all these kind of primal emotions that we are all subject to as human beings. Our relationship to them now is seeing them in terms of Dhamma rather than judging them, putting value on our emotional habits through cultural conditioning, through Sakya Ditti, Sila Bhattabharamasa. Now this does, uh, it said on, remember on the Magga Puja day, the patient forbearance is, <laughs> no, this is, this is uh, the life of a samana, is patient forbearance. 
the Awadapati Moka. Because we're here to be patient with the conditions, not as some kind of personal uh, quality of I must be patient, but it's learning to accept the conditions as, uh, for what they are at the present moment. Where if we don't have patience for Burns, then if we don't like the conditions, we tend to resist or suppress or dis distract ourselves from them. Or if we like the conditions, then we want to hold on and keep them. So, you know, we want the happiness, the peace, the tranquility, the samadhi, the bliss. We want harmony and peacefulness and bliss, happiness, love, and we don't want disharmony and irritation and frustration and all the rest, of, you know, the negative side. But to be patient with both the, the pleasant and the painful means not in just gritting your teeth, you know, and grit and bear it attitude. It's, it's a welcoming attitude of opening to uh, pleasure and pain. It's like this. So the pleasure that I remember having on this journey uh, in Norway didn't lead to misery because the pleasure was momentary and was not grasped at, is appreciated. It brought joy into life, but not grasp, is not demanding that I have, that I need to go on a permanent cruise up and down the Norwegian coast for the rest of my life. <laughs> Even though that thought did occur to me once. <laughs> So, you see, the critical function is, is acquired, you know, in the conditioned realm. It's, this is a realm based on, you know, good and bad, day and night, black and white, good and evil. I mean, it's, it's the conditioned realm is, is, is like this. And we like and we dislike it. We want and we don't want. We want to hold on and keep what we like and get rid of all that we don't like. So these are, these form the Sakya Ditti Silabhata Bharamasa Vichikicha, the three fetters that block insight into the path. Now there's insight into the path, the stream entry is, you know, then you have a sense for this path you have a real knowledge of the path where, you know, you, which integrates into everything you're doing. No matter if it, everything is going well or unwell or right and wrong or fair, unfair or should or shouldn't, it doesn't matter that much because one is developing the path. One isn't going to find, you know, that just getting caught up into the conditioned realm again, something that one really wants to do anymore. Once you see, you know, like grasping fire, 
It doesn't take long to grasp the candle flame and see that it hurts. Once you understand the nature of desire, uh, that grasping desire hurts, you let you, you know, your aim is not to attach, not to get rid of desire. Just like with fire, you don't want to, we can still enjoy the candle flame without putting our fingers into the flame. It brings light, uh, beautiful light into the temple. This sense realm that we're experiencing, we can enjoy without grasping at it. And we can bear with it's the aging process and the loss of the loved and the separation and the, and the, the sickness and so forth that inevitably is a part of human uh, vipaka kama. This is bearable. This is not something we can't bear. Because this is the way it is. Our refuge is in the deathless rather than in the security, trying to create an illusion of security with that which is very nature is insecure. You think, That's really a foolish person, isn't it? That seeks security out of that which is his very nature is insecure. So security lies not in, in trying to control and, and get what we want and, and live, you know, try to live our lives uh, and, and uh, trying to control things so that we feel safe or create the illusion of security. But to find real security, always in the present moment, the deathless, the gate to the deathless is open. Ati ajadang aputang akatang asankadang. There is the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned. Now, in my practice now, after all these years, this is this seems so obvious. You know, it really begins to, if you keep, keep developing it, cultivating this way, after a while it just begins to sink in, you know, you suddenly you realize this in a way that isn't just, you know, moment, momentarily uh, like it was in the beginning. Sometimes you'd have insights and then you'd be pulled back into the, into your old habits and, uh, get carried around with all the worldly cares that one can create around life, wherever you might be, whoever you, whoever you are with. It's your vipaka kama. But the more you keep trusting in this awareness, accessing it, knowing it, loving it, appreciating, rejoicing in it, this is it. And then the conditioned realm is welcomed. We're not trying to, to control the conditioned realm anymore. So even, uh, you know, despair or disillusionment or anger or whatever, greed or whatever arises, we're no longer seeing it in some kind of, I don't want this, but welcoming is the sense of receiving receptivity, because our refuge is 
is not in the death bound or in controlling conditions, but in the reality of now, in which we, the, the Vipaka Kama as we experience it is like this. So it is, uh, you know, and certainly uh, I'm really incredibly grateful to have uh, lived this life because it, uh, it's not been disappointing in any way for me. Uh, because it has been something that, you know, a very skillful and useful convention if used properly. It works. You know, it's not, not, uh, not some kind of, uh, you know, the possibility that in the next rebirth I'll be born in a better state where I can have a better chance at enlightenment. That kind of thinking is, is rubbish. It's about uh, here and now recognizing, opening to reality, seeing, knowing. From this deathless reality rather than knowing all about conditioned phenomena. How many uh, modern education is all about collecting data and information out of books and ideas and concepts and uh, experts and authorities, uh, you know, from modern science, from philosophy, from all the kind of great conditions that that human beings have have uh, created over the centuries. Not to dismiss them as a waste of time, but none of them are liberating if we're just merely uh, thinking and attached to certain thoughts, certain, certain positions, views and opinions. Now the convention then that we're using, you, you might think I'm attached to the convention But the convention is an expedient means. It's the reason why, uh, you know, is, is that it's, it's for awareness. It's a chosen convention. I wasn't forced, wasn't forced on me. It's basically moral, you know, it's about morality, it's about developing awareness. So in the conventional sense, then it's, it's, you know, it's to be recognized. It is limited to that. It's not in itself, you know, we can love it sometimes and hate it sometimes and, and resent it or, or become very attached to it. But the main purpose of it is to use it for awareness. This convention, as we've we use it here like this. Don't make a problem about it. Don't make it into anything more than it's like this. And then you can see one's own personal reactions to it. Because they can vary. You know, according to various conditions. So the Buddha 
said, I teach only two things, suffering and the end of suffering. That's very simple, isn't it? And that's all that really matters. There's suffering and then there's the end of suffering. And so the end of suffering is always here and now and knowing attachment and non-attachment. Knowing that attachment to suffering is like this and non-attachment is like this. It's discerning. If I want to suffer, then I attach to, to the conventions, to the views, I, the views that I might have or uh, particular uh, emotional habits. I might attach to them. But then over through the years of reflecting on that attachment, you see, in the letting go and non-attachment, discerning non-attachment. Now in the sound of silence, I noticed that emotional, uh, like certain things will arouse emotions, strong feelings, emotional feelings. And we know, you know, there's a knowing of the emotion uh, that I'm experiencing is like this. That knowing is that trust the knowing and that if we keep grasping that feeling or trying to resist it, trying to suppress it or follow it, those are the two extremes. <coughs> then, we, then we suffer. We're back into the realm of death. We're in the death realm again and we're lost in it until we awaken. And that awakening, sound of silence, then I'm aware of this, this emotional uh, energy because emotions are energetic. And then accepting them, the energy that still remains. And it will cease, you know, you're allowing things to be, to arise and cease according to their nature, not according to your desires anymore. So this evening I offer this for your reflections.